0: Open your Bible to Mark chapter number 1, and while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Father, ask in Jesus' name that your people would receive from you what they need today. Father, let them not hear my voice, but let them hear yours. Touch everybody in the unique way that only you can, in spite of me. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk this morning about a few ideas centered around fishing. Uh, I've we've been in a series this this month uh, called Face to Face, which er, earlier in the week I, I thought I was going to be continuing the series. It's a series on prayer. And I just felt the Holy Spirit begin to urge me and nudge me in, in, in this way. And then Wednesday night I really got a good strong confirmation. So I, I believe this is a word for God from God for you right now. And I believe it's going to bless you. But uh, along the way we talked about face to face and how important a a lifestyle of living face to face with God is, which effectively, if you wanted to use church, uh speak. It would be uh praying, uh praying and, and a lifestyle of prayer that, that wasn't possible before Jesus. Now we can get close to God because we're we're wrapped in Christ. But a lifestyle of prayer will revolutionize your life. It, it will shift everything about how you deal with something. The fact that you know God is close to you will change every situation. It will it will stop you from being able to be, oh I just now see the Watkins baby back there. Oh my goodness gracious. Y'all don't leave without me seeing that baby. Praise God. But a lifestyle of prayer will shift your situation. It will change your life from from status quo to to becoming an overcomer. It will change your life from status quo to being literally the head and not the tail. But as a Christian, uh, one of our primary, no our primary purpose and calling is to fish for people. It is to find somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have that relationship and and figure out how to get them there. Now, if you're a guest here and you were invited by somebody, number one, they must love you very much because they brought you to a place where you could hear God. Number two, if you're a guest here and you're still seeking and searching and you're trying to figure out God, you're trying not to figure out God, you're trying to figure out what should I believe, what should I not believe, just hold on with me because for the next few minutes, I'm going to be talking to uh, church folk. I'm going to talk to the mirror, if you will, because I'm a church folk from long way back. I was born in church. I was going to church nine months before I was born. I was raised in church. I've had more whippings in church than most people got outside of church. I've been to church, y'all, and I remember uh, uh, many times walking to church from school because my parents were doing something in the ministry, and and even when I was little, they were always involved with youth and stuff. So going on these trips and mission trips, just church, church. So my life has been centered around the things of God. And uh, for a lot of you, you remember the moment that you got saved. You remember the opportunity that you said yes to Jesus. You can tell me the town. I, I like it when people testify to me and they say something like, "It was June twelfth, uh, nineteen seventy-four, on the corner of Smith and Aldine, and somebody spoke to me, and you." Got a story that's that specific, and when you have something that that's specific found in your testimony, I celebrate it with you, but I don't have that story. I don't remember not being saved. I can tell you a hundred times that I asked God to save me again. Come on, somebody did something, your kid, you go to trouble oh God. I hope you didn't see me break his Legos, you know, or whatever. I can tell you a hundred of those stories, but I don't have the first one. And I, I remember one time I was at this Christian church camp and uh, there was an 18-year-old or so, a counselor that was over our cabin. And so every night we would have, a, you know, the whole thing was swimming and fun and church and everything. But the, but that night uh, we had like this little devotional on a deck and and we were sitting there and we're going down and, and this this 18-year-old young man, he had no ill intentions, but he was maybe just a little bit... Uh, ill-informed. He had he had complete, total good intentions. He did nothing wrong. Uh, well, it wasn't right, but, but he wasn't trying to be wrong is what I'm saying. And and he goes down the line, and all these boys, I'm probably, I don't know, nine, ten years old, something like that. Does that sound right? Nine or ten years old. My parents are right up on the front row. That's so I'm asking for reference. They keep me honest. But uh, I said, this guy goes and he says, uh, he goes, all right, if you don't remember the moment that you got saved, then you're not saved, and I said, "Wait a minute." And he goes down the line. He goes, "Billy, when'd you get saved?" "My seventh birthday." "My grandpa led me to God." "Johnny, when'd you get saved?" "It was last week." "When'd you get saved?" And everybody had a date. And it gets to me. He's like, "When did you get saved?" I said, "Man, I don't know." He goes, "Then you're not saved." I said, "Bro, wait a minute." <laughs> I said, "I've asked God into my heart a hundred times." I believe on Jesus. I can quote more Scripture than you can. I have been brought up in this thing. He said, if you don't remember the moment, then you're not saved. I said, I need to speak with my father. He says, well, you know, you can only speak with your dad, uh, with your parents, you can only call home if it's an emergency. I said, if my soul burning in hell is not an emergency, I don't know what is. So he takes me to the nurse, to the infirmary, and we get there, and I remembered the phone number, still do, 384-8169, area code 409. So I call it, mom answers the phone, said, Mom, I need to talk to dad. Everything okay? So said, I hope so. So she gives dad the phone. I said, Dad, this guy here, I can't remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. And he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. He really was trying to do right. But I, I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, Dad, this guy's telling me I'm not saved. Now, if you know my father, if you tell him, uh, hey, the, the bridge is on fire, or if you tell him, we just won a million dollars, he's kind of a steady guy. You're not going to see too much reaction one way or the other because number one, he's already thinking how we're going to put the bridge out, and he's already thinking uh, how are we going to secure that money. He, he's he's already past where he is, and he's living in the future all the time. He's stable minded. He has the mind of Christ. Okay, just a good man. Anyway, so he, I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Dad," he goes, well, "Okay, well, tell me what he said." I said, "Well, Dad, we go down the line and." They said this and they said that. And we got to me, and, and, I, and I don't have that moment. And, I, and I, he goes, he goes No, nah, baby. He said, It's okay. He said, he said, You're saved. He said, But put him on the phone. And I don't know if you have any brothers and sisters, but here's how I felt Mom, Douglas did this, this, and this, and this. And it was like one of those moments where mom goes, Tell Douglas to come here right now. So I'm like, What? <laughs> Douglas, mom wants to see you right now. And then you follow him. You know, you're like, and you wait outside the room. And you're like, did you do that to your brother? And he's like, no, I didn't do that. And you jump in. Yes, you did. Because you know, you know something's happening. You know. So that's how I felt. That's to give him the phone. I said, he wants to talk to you. And the guy gets the phone, and this is all he says. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. No. S- yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he hands the phone back to me. Now, to this day, I don't know exactly what he said. My dad's a very diplomatic person, so he would have been kind. There's no question about it. And the kid, he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. Uh, uh, but, but he hands the phone back to me. And dad says, hey, going back to the cabin, you're saved. Don't worry about it. But I'm picking you up in the morning. (laughs) So, dad came, mom and dad came and got me the next day. Now, it just so happened that we were having a fit, we were going to a fishing tournament, so that's why they picked me up early, so I was glad about that. But in my life, I don't have your story of exactly when I got saved, because either I've been saved a thousand times, or I got saved at such a young age that I don't remember. But I assure you, for those who are now praying for me, going, oh, God, save the pastor, (laughs) I'm, I'm born again. Mark chapter 1, verse number 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Simon's the guy that we all call Peter in the Bible. He saw Simon, Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea because they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Come ye after me, follow me, and I will make you to become meaning I will take you from what you are and transform you into something else, I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed Him. That's a big key right there. The first thing that Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, said to the disciples who He was calling to follow Him was not, follow Me and I will grant you eternal life. Follow me and I'll give you the best job imaginable and I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out blessings that you don't have room enough to contain. Follow me and I will bless you and I will heal you. Follow me and you'll see me walk on water. Follow me and you'll see me open blind eyes. Follow me, you'll see me raise the dead. Follow me, you'll see me killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Follow me and these are the things you're going to see. He didn't say any of that. He said, follow me and I'm going to teach you How to catch people. Which is to say, the very most important thing on God's heart is catching people. The most important, if you ever wonder what's on God's mind, what's on God's mind at 7 a.m., 12 a.m., 7 p.m., 12 midnight, what's on God's mind 24-7 is catching the lost. But interestingly enough, he gave us a Bible, thank God, so that we don't have to just leave it at that. So he spends three, little over three years, teaching his disciples how to win the loss. On a grand scale with 5,000 people there, he goes, now listen, when you get to a certain place like New Heights Church is going, you're going to need some logistical awareness. When you have 5,000 people in one place and there's no McDonald's and Chick-fil-A's always closed on Sunday, you're going to have to be able to feed them some way or another. When you come up to three or four people and you get in their home, here's how you talk to them. Here's how you would communicate with them. If you're talking to somebody that doesn't have very much, they could barely rub two pennies together or two mites together, here's what you would say to them to make sure that they understand that they're valuable in the kingdom of God. If you're dealing with somebody that's of great influence uh, like Nicodemus and you realize sometimes you have to talk to them a little bit different. Sometimes you have to talk to a celebrity different. Now don't get off track with me. Everybody's the same. Everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. Unless you're Pentecostal, then you put your dress on. I don't know how y'all do that. But what I'm saying is, when you deal with people, you got to deal with people differently. You walk into academy, you go down the line, there's a fishing bait for a bass, there's a fishing bait for a perch, there's a fishing bait for a catfish, there's a fishing bait for a mahi-mahi, there's a fishing bait for a speckled trout, there's a fishing bait for a redfish. Because every fish eats something different. They're all different. So, when back to the celebrity ideology, like Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, he was very influential, had a lot of money, had a lot of uh, reputation... So probably everywhere he went, he probably had an entourage of some kind. He probably had a group that would follow him. So uh, think about like Brad Pitt. No, no, foot on Brad Pitt. Think about Johnny Football. Think about Johnny Football showing up at University Drive and walking into Buffalo Wild Wings. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey's Circus, that's what's about to happen there's going to be everybody going to be trying to get an autograph and they'll all be in line behind me. Come on, somebody. Johnny, you're so fast. I wish you'd quit doing all that stuff you're doing because my little boy, I want him to be able to watch you. And if you keep gesturing the way you're gesturing on Monday Night Football, and by the way, guys, glass half full, maybe he was just telling them they're number one. Johnny Football walks in the Buffalo Wild Wings, you're not going to get a chance to sit down with them and go, Brother, now where are you with God? What do you believe about God? Because there's going to be 75 people screaming. When the news finds out, the news are going to be there. So Jesus said, listen, I care about the lady that can't rub two nickels together and I care about the guy who can't walk down the street from getting without getting bombarded by the paparazzi. So here's how you deal with both sides of the spectrum. But I want you to fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish. I'm going to teach you how to get there. Now, for you and for me, Maybe we're not as effective as we could be. And I want to give a few points this morning on why we might not be as effective as we could be. Point number one. Maybe we're not as effective as we could be because God is so good. This Wednesday night, we had service, like we always do. And about two songs in, everybody just began to really get a touch. Just the presence of God. If you've ever been in the presence of God, you don't want to leave. So we didn't. We just kept worshiping for about an hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was. And we just we just want to be saturated with His presence because when you've tasted of the goodness of God, you don't want to do anything else. We spend hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, miles and miles on our vehicles, uh, tanks of gas and everything to get to a conference where we believe we're going to experience the next place in God for us. An album comes out and we buy it. And I think we ought to buy every album that comes out that's lifting up the name of Jesus. If they're going to get good and they're going to get rich singing about the devil and singing about wickedness and talking bad about women and talking bad about authority and all that other nonsense, then we ought to wreck the shelves when somebody puts out a good album that's lifting up the name of Jesus. So in our lives, we get so good and so focused that, what's my next step, God? How can I get close to you, God? How can you touch me, Father? How do I, how can I get the next blessing in my life? How can I get to the next place? And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, Jesus was always trying to be tricked and always trying to be uh, riddled into something. And one time he was asked, he goes, he goes, Jesus, should we obey this part or should we obey this part? And Jesus said, you should have done this but you shouldn't have left the other undone. Meaning, yeah, we need to get close to God. We need to be focused on the things of God. Absolutely, we need to try to never let His presence lift and do everything we can to just get a little glimpse of it and touch the hem of His garment. But you shouldn't do that only at the expense of being a good fisherman. We can't get so focused on what we're about that we lose focus on what He's about. We spend our life doctoring and mending and fixing our own heart, but the heart of God will always be for the lost. We get focused on our heart and lose focus on His heart. Number two, it could simply be the challenge of of comfort. It could be the, 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 the challenge of of I don't want to be out of my comfort zone and, and John uh, chapter number 7 says that, that, that the people were scared to talk about Jesus for fear of what might happen to them. Now you and me, listen, we're not in Iraq right now. What's going on over there it's the worst thing imaginable. But you're not in that situation. You're not in a situation where people are going to kill you for your faith, not right now anyway in America. You're not in that situation. So the idea of fear, we can kind of throw that out the window. And plus, this is Texas. Most of y'all are carrying guns anyway. So fear is really not the, not the thing, but it's more like a comfort level. You know, it's, it's like, uh, like I remember Joel Osteen's a friend of mine. And not too long ago, I was standing there and, and, uh, this this guy who who's a nice guy says to me, and he goes, blah, blah, blah. He says, you know, I just got nothing for Joel Osteen, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And all of a sudden, his comfort level went... Because he just talked about my friend. You see what I'm saying? We're scared of our comfort level getting violated, or, or messed up. Now, now, for me, I've trained myself, and I'm not talking about me for the sake of talking about me. If I knew your story, this is where I would inject yours. But in my life, I have, I have done my best to train myself to not really regarding comfort level with regards to the things of God. So if I sense that somebody... That God has either brought somebody in my path or, or I sense that they're really hurting. Uh, you know what? I just kind of throw, pa- I just throw caution to the wind and I just say, hey, you know, can I, can I talk with you a minute? Uh, hey, where are you with God? Do you have a relate? Do you know God? What do you think about God? I have no problem starting that situation. And, and sometimes I've, I've even been in places where I really felt convicted because I kind of had this, this urging to go talk to somebody and I didn't. Has anybody ever been there? Wave at me can't believe y'all did that. <laughs> just kidding. But it's happened to me, you know, so I'll drive off and i kind of feel convicted and I've turned around. Y'all probably didn't. I turned around <laughs> and I went back to the store or wherever I was. I said, you know, I just, I just... You know, my name's Brian. You don't know me, but, you know, how are you doing with God? And I've had him do everything but spit in my face in that moment. And sometimes I just go back to my truck with my head down like, Lord... If you can save everybody, maybe not them. <laughs> but the Bible says that one sows a seed, the other waters, and God will bring the increase. So sometimes we don't get the immediate satisfaction of somebody turning their life over to Jesus, but you might be planting that seed. But the comfort level that you experience or don't experience doesn't necessarily, uh, should not dictate whether or not you choose to fish. When I was in college... I lived with three guys, two of which were saved, one was a maybe. And and I remember one day uh, we were sitting in in his bedroom. There was two beds in there. I was sitting on one. He was sitting on the other. We're watching TV, and I thought, man, what if my friend doesn't make it to heaven? And I've lived with him for two years. What what if he doesn't go to heaven? He's been to church with me. Uh, he's you know he knows I go to church every time the doors are open. You know what if he doesn't go to heaven? So I said, I just mute the TV, and I said, I said, can we just talk for a minute? Yeah, man. What what do you you think about God? I like Him. Well, what do you know about Him? I mean, He's God. I said, well, what do you know about Jesus? That's His Son, right? Yeah. What do you think about that? well, I mean, I know about the cross. I've heard about it. I said, well, what what do you know about being saved? You don't have to understand the terminology right now, but, but here's what all that's about. And He's looking at me. His eyes get this big. And it's like, man, He's getting it. And he's understanding the good news that you and I have bought, bought into, you know, several times in our life. So he's, he's sitting there getting it, and right there in that apartment bedroom, he gives his heart to Jesus. Now, in my life, that was a big deal because I really cared for this guy. He's a good friend of mine. It doesn't always happen that way, but the comfort level, the comfort level that we walk in shouldn't dictate whether or not we make an attempt. Another thing we think about is we think, man, I, I just don't have enough information. I'm not ready. I, I'm not prepared enough. Well, A, the, the easy answer is, we'll get more prepared. Well, let me just remind you, when you got saved, the person who said it to you, whether it was a preacher like me, somebody on television, whether it was your friend, your mother, your brother, they did not necessarily tell you all of the Proverbs and all of the Psalms And they didn't quote the book of Isaiah to you. They told you about Jesus and something on the inside of you said, I believe that's true and you moved to it. Remember the information that you bought into that got you saved and realize that's really the only information necessary to fish for somebody else doesn't mean don't learn the other stuff. doesn't mean don't memorize Scripture. It simply means, as we move along, don't let discomfort or the idea that you don't have enough... If you can tell the story of an old rugged cross, you've got more ammo than necessary to get somebody born again. If you can tell the story of an empty tomb, you've got enough ammunition to get somebody born again. Uh, Point number three, competing agendas. Competing agendas. You and me, we're not against. We're not against fishing. There's only 24 hours in a day. So our agenda, we're like, man, I'm willing to do that. And as soon as I get more time and energy, I'm going to really get committed to it. As soon as I get a little bit more uh, uh time and, and effort, I'm going I'm to do it. Now, now with Jesus, it's an interesting thing. He says things like this. He says, seek first, Primary the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Notice He did not say, don't seek these things. He simply said, seek the kingdom first. When you put things in order, God tends to organize the rest of your stuff. The minute you lay aside every weight that's been holding you back, you're now free to focus on the things of God. You're now free to focus on that. And here's the other side of it. He's not asking you to devote some energy that you're not devoting now, meaning He's not saying uh, 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 we need you to to come up and fabricate more energy. Listen, there's only a certain amount of energy you've got in your body 24 hours a day, etc., etc., unless you're one of my kids, and then it's unlimited somehow. But but either way, you've only got a certain amount of energy. What He's asking you to do is... Take take the effort and the energy that you have right now and put it first into the kingdom and let Him work all the other stuff out. we got to remember that His agenda, the first thing He mentioned to His disciples was to go fish. Do you remember the story of the young lady who came to the well and Jesus met her there? She had had five husbands. The guy she was living with was not her husband. Yet Jesus saw it fit to go all the way over to where she was and let him know about the living water that was found in him and the fact that he was Christ and the fact that he loved her. And the minute the Bible says that she received that information, the Bible says she went to town and to began to tell all the people about Jesus. Because she realized, listen, I understand that this guy has the answer and if his agenda is this, then my agenda is this. Think about a company with a CEO. A CEO have a vision say, our company is going to do this, 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 and this. And everybody that works there needs to be in line with this vision. Do this, 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 and this. And then uh, two years later, they take a golden parachute, they got bajillions of dollars and they're living on a beach somewhere and the new CEO comes in. And the new CEO comes in and goes, company's been real good now. We did $100 million last year, but we're going to do $150 million this year. And this is the new vision that's going to get us there. Every employee and every associate has to get in line with that vision. Because if they're not in line with that vision, that means there are two visions. And two visions, another way to put that, is division, We have to keep our focus and our vision in line with His. We have to keep our focus and our vision and our agenda in line with His. Now I'm going to tell you guys a few things that you might not know about me. It's all good, I hope. But I love to fish. I don't kind of love to fish. I don't a little bit love to fish. And when I'm talking about fish, now I'm talking about water, hooks, scales, fish. I'm not talking about people right now. We'll get back to people. But I personally love to fish. I skipped more school in high school just to go fishing than I did anything else. Which I mentioned in early service. That's a little weird to admit in front of my parents who are sitting here. But either way, I love to fish. And I don't like to fish and catch some fish. I like to fish and catch all the fish. I don't like to kind of catch fish. I don't like to maybe catch, I don't like to fish and we're not catching something. There's other things I can do. Rather play dominoes, but I love to fish. I've got fishing stories that go on and on and on and on and on. One of them, one of my best friends growing up was Clint Schaffner. He's a cowboy. His brothers are cowboys. They are PRCA guys and do all that stuff still to this day. Uh, but they were cowboys big time. And, and so uh, uh, one time uh, we were fishing and he's got this pond. And his uncle come by, came by and said, and said, Hey boys, I got a sane net. Now I don't know if you guys know what a sane net is. But a sane net is where you take a net and I hold it on this side. And somebody else holds it on this side. And you walk through the whole pond and you catch everything. Let me tell you something. Two 12 year old country bumpkin boys were pretty excited about catching every fish in the pond. And we sat there and we were going, and we started getting too deep over our heads, and we realized we need a boat. Well, the only boat we had was an igloo cooler. So Clint says, I got a plan. I said, Yeah. So we get this igloo cooler, and Clint contorts himself into it. He said, Here's the plan. I'm going to hold this side of the the same. we had the other side driven in the ground with a with a stick, and he said he said, "You push, you get out there as deep as you go, and then you push me, you push me as far as you can, and I'll paddle the rest of the way across this pond. I said that is brilliant." So we get him, he gets into this cooler. that, that, you know, I don't know, it wasn't a big one, it was one of those ones like this. And he gets in there, and I'm going, I'm probably about that tall at the time. So I get to about three, four foot of water where I can't touch anymore, or I'm getting to where I can't touch anymore. And and I don't realize, I must be kind of holding the cooler up. So I said, you ready? He goes, yeah, man. I said, all right. So, whoom, I shove him. And that thing goes about five feet and starts to go down, man. And he screams out, I'm taking in Water! He's trying to get out and he goes, I'm stuck, man. I said, Oh my gosh. So I get out there, I swim out there, and I get him and I, and I pull him out. And, and literally, this is how it went down. We got back to where we could touch real good, and he grabs me, hugs my neck, goes, You saved my life, man. I said, Yeah, I did. <laughs> my grandma, my mom's mom, I told her the story, and, and she goes, You're a sun kissed hero. At the time, Sunkist was having this thing where you could send in like a hero scenario and they would, they would put it on the, the orange juice thing, a Sunkist hero. And I said, "Memo, uh, uh, I don't want everybody knowing we tried to use a cooler as a boat. <laughs> she said, well, you are one. Okay. Another story, I got a, uh, we were fishing and, uh, you know, I was probably 13, 14 now and we live way out in the country and, uh, you know, we had a birthday party. So I had six or seven guys over and, you know, we we're just going to do country boy stuff. We probably we're going to, you know, go spotlighting that night and, and, walk around with, with BB guns and, and God knows what else, fireworks. And I mean, it was just, it was going to be a good time. I can tell you for sure. And we, we walked out into this this, 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 this pond, walked to this pond that was about, I don't know, quarter mile in the woods, half mile from my house. And what I used to do is I would drag a P-Row. piro. A piro is like a like a little canoe. Does anybody know what anybody know what a piro is? If you're from if you're from uh, Louisiana, you might call it a piroo because you don't know how to talk. But uh, I would drag this thing, this P-Row, and I'd drag it in the woods. If I found a pond that I was you know I was walking or or hunting or, or riding my four wheeler or, or or any of those things, I, I would get out and I, if I found a pond, man, I wanted to fish in it. I want to see what's in there. So I would drag this, this P-Row and I'd get back in the woods and I found this pond and man, I caught a fish or two. And so when my birthday came, I said, man, we'll all go fishing, guys. It's going to be incredible. So we go and we walk across the creek, which was on our property. And we get to the other side and we get into the woods and walk a little ways in there. And you know, we're fishing. We're really not catching anything. So, so one of us or all of us said, man, let's go swimming. I said, now you're talking. So we put our bathing suit on, which we were wearing underneath our pants in the form of underwear. And we're all swimming in this water, and it's just we're just having a good time, you know. And you know, I don't know if you guys have ever been skinny dipping, but I'll show y'all how it happens. Don't 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 strip me with your eyes, okay? But but you, even if we had our underwear on, but the way you skinny dip is you you sit there and you kind of turn sideways and you, and you, you take your drawers off, and you're like, whoa, man, you're running there because you don't anybody like staring at you, you know, unless you're like. I don't know. <laughs> Is my face as red as it feels? <laughs> Somebody say, Amen or oh me. So we were swimming. We were having a good time at we splashing, you know, probably wrestling, you know, just, just, just having just 13- year-old boys just doing it. Now here come out of the woods, Dad. Hey boys, Hey, Dad. We're going to have hamburgers in about an hour. Y'all catch anything? We caught a few, Dad, but it's so hot out here, we just decided to go swimming. And Dad's like, all right, boys, we all have fun. I'll see you when you get to the house. Yes, sir. He goes back to the house. Twenty, thirty minutes later, we get done swimming. And I come out of that old pond. and I look over at my buddy Clint. I said, Clint, I am almost certain I put my clothes right here. <laughs> he goes... Man, I know I put mine right here. And all of our shoes were neatly in a pile, but all of our clothes were gone. So I was like, huh? Well, my dad was our, our little league baseball coach too. So, so all the guys were like, man, Coach Hallam took our clothes, man. And I'm like, yeah, guys, he's been doing it for years, you know, just, just way he's a jokester, you know. So we go back through the woods, we go down through the pasture, through the creek. Uh, start walking up the pasture. And we get 100 yards from the house or so, and there's dad, and he's waving like, he's waving like this, but he's waving different. He's waving like this. And I'm like, what's he waving like this for? He goes, You boys smile for the camera. <laughs> so he was videoing us. So on the count of three, we all cracked him a smile. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I don't know if we still have that tape, but. It's not for sale. (laughs) We're not going to have a celebrity issue. That'll make you famous. (laughs) But I've been fishing for a long time. I love to fish. It's one of my favorite things to do. Offshore, with a trot line. I've walked across swamps in the middle of the night with a bow and arrow, with nothing but a flashlight. I've carried a car battery and a five-gallon bucket so that I could have a spotlight while I'm in the swamp, while I'm bow fishing for uh, something called a gar, which if you don't know what a gar is, it's half of an alligator. And we're looking for them, not trying to get away from them. I love fishing. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I, even when I was preparing this message, I was thinking, man, I didn't, I didn't even realize how much I like fishing. I'm crazy about it. But we also go to Colorado a lot. Uh, we try to go once or twice a year. If you've never been, it's great. If you've never been in the winter... Uh, it's great there. If you've never been in the summer, it's great there. But but we go to Colorado and we ride uh, four-wheelers up in the mountain. One of my cousins is here. And, and we ride together. We have a lot of fun up there. It's, it's a great time. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful property up there. Uh, here's a picture uh, of kind of what we look like. Uh, that's me in the red helmet. Just kidding. That's Walker Lee in front. That's Haley. Uh, and, and this is uh, Papa or... To me, Uncle Larry's house, so Corey knows where that is exactly. Uh, But we go, and the kids don't really go up the trails with us. But we got them that little four wheeler, so they can puddle around the the driveway and think that they're, you know, riding four wheelers in the mountains, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we go up. Matter of fact, I got a little video to kind of show exactly what happens. Here's what here's what we do with the kids while we're up there. That's Haley. That's that's leaving us there. Walker Lee's probably on that. Yeah, he's on that one with me. it's a good time we go we go up there and we we ride four-wheelers and uh so the kids then what will go now they're old enough now this was in 2011 uh they're old enough now though where you know they'll ride with us now and they'll go up the mountain and stuff and there's one place we go it's called bristol and and halfway or three quarters of the way up there uh there's a there's a uh, There's a sign on the way to this place. This place called Bristol Head. It's a huge exposed rock at something like 10 or 12,000 feet elevation. And there's no trees. There's nothing around. Uh, It's really a a very... just inspiring place, but it's a place you'd want to take a picture of or take a picture at and you gotta ride a foiler for like three hours just to get up there. So it's it's kind of a, a unique thing. But but about halfway or three quarters of the way up there, there's a sign that, that has an arrow and it says, uh a lake this way. And when we went up there that year it was me and mom and dad and some cousins and uh Crystal wasn't home wasn't with us because I've kept her pregnant almost the whole time that we've been married. And uh, it's a kind of a bumpy ride. And she was getting close to having a baby. And we, we were not going to have a baby in Colorado. You know what I'm saying? All my children are Texans. Come on. <laughs> so anyway, we're getting up there and we stop. And we're like, man, let's go see this lake. Let's go see, you know, what it is. So we, so we drove up to this lake. And here's a picture of this lake that, that we're at. And, and as you can see, it's a beautiful lake. It's, it's, it's almost higher than the tree line. So that, that behind me, this is the middle of July, that snow uh, up there behind me, And this lake's just beautiful, picturesque, and uh, that's my best Captain America pose. If y'all couldn't tell, that's what I'm going for there. Uh, And also, I'm going to show in a minute that apparently I only wear that shirt once a year, but it's one of my favorite shirts. So, uh, we get up to this pond and look, and the lake is filled to the max with trout. And and, and not just like a a trout, like like beautiful beautiful colors, all kind of stuff. And immediately when I walk up, because I got those sunglasses that, that help you see in the water, you know what I'm saying? They, they help you break it down. So I look and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, do I have any floss? Do I have any, any sewing string? I have to catch these fish. I, I've got to catch... One of the, I can't not catch this fish, so I can't find anything to fish with. So I said, well, I wonder if they'll eat something. So I, I walk off through the field and I finally find a grasshopper and I take that grasshopper and I throw it out there in the water and wham, one of those fish comes up and eats it just like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would be catching so many fish right now if I was just prepared to fish. If I was focused on fishing, I would probably be catching fish. If I was thinking about fishing, I would probably be catching fish. So I'm sitting there and we get done and we stop and we had a sandwich and we turn around and we drive up and we go to the place and take pictures, come down and about two months after we got back, we started planning another trip to Colorado. It was going to be a guy's trip. We took about 15 guys up there. But even the day that I saw that pond, when I got back to where there was some cell phone service, I started Google mapping or Googling what kind of a trout that was, what kind of a fish that was, because if I ever made it back to that place, I'm going to catch those fish. What do they bite? What do they not bite? When do they eat? What do they eat? What kind of fish is it? I want to know what kind of fish it is. I don't want to just haphazardly go for it. I want to know. I'm focused. I'm strategic. And then we start talking about going back. My mind is blown. You can ask Crystal for 10 months. I just focused on those trout. Just focus. Get me to the lake. So I went and bought a fishing rod that's this long so that you can, so I can stick it in the box on my four wheeler. The The reel on it wasn't a good reel, so I bought an expensive reel to put on it because you don't get to, to 8,000 feet and have a malfunction with some of your equipment and think you're just going to walk over to Walmart because I wanted some good stuff because I was strategic about catching those fish. So I bring that and then I'll tell you kind of about my dark side. Uh, I didn't tell anybody I was bringing a fishing pole. Because I wanted to, in front of those fifteen guys, I wanted them to get there and experience what I experienced twelve months prior to that, and then watch me catching fish in front of them. Oh, y'all didn't bring any fishing rods, huh? I told them before we went; and they all brought fishing poles, but I didn't want to. So we get up there, and I, I got I got a rooster tail because turns out the the trout up there are called cutthroat trout. I don't know if you ever heard of cutthroat trout. But they're beautiful. I call them cutthroat because they got this red. Underneath their throats. It's just beautiful fish. Speckles, just beautiful. So I get up there and, and we, we, we drive. What we do is we ride about 30 minutes. We stop and talk. Ride right about 30 minutes, stop and talk. Well, we started getting close to that lake and all the stopping and talking was out the window for me. I had that Honda four-wheeler pegged. Whee! Whoa, we get stuck. I turn the thing off. I'm reaching back, throwing the box open. I grab that fishing pole and in one stride I'm off of that four wheeler. I'm getting to that lake and zzz I'm fishing. And I look across the lake. There's a couple people fishing over there on the bank. A couple of people fishing over there and I'm like, oh man, they must know something that we don't know. They, they must have a handle on this thing. They must, they must have it figured out. I bet they caught a million fish by now. And I'm sitting there and, and my first cast, I don't catch anything. My second cast, I throw it out. By that time, some guys are starting to get off of their four-wheelers and they aren't ready. They've got a, a little tackle box in one hand, a fishing pole they bought at, at the gas station uh, in Colorado Springs or wherever we were. Uh, and they were trying to tie this on and tie that on. And that second cast, I throw it out there, and I'm reeling in, and bang, I got one. Boom, 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 boom. And I reel it in, and this is what I caught right here. Second cast. And I was thinking, I've been plotting on you for a year, fish. That's what I'm thinking. I've been dreaming about you have infected me, fish. And all my friends around me. They start to get pretty serious about fishing then. What are you fishing with? A hook. What kind of hook? None ya. We fished for about an hour and nobody else caught anything. Truth be told, I didn't catch anything else, but granted I gave my fishing pole to somebody else because it's just what you do. Let them try. And the guys that were fishing on the other side of the creek, the other side of the lake, they came, they came over and said, Man, y'all fish? Y'all, y'all catch any fish? They said, Well, we fished from daylight till about noon. We didn't catch anything. One of them was a guide. And he had been fishing all over, he knew everything there was nobody, but they couldn't even get a fish to bite. And all I could think of was, God, you are so good. Because He'll give you the desires of your heart. I was focused on that fish for ten months, and God just in two casts gave me exactly what I was focused on. Nobody else got any because God doesn't like anybody else but me. Just kidding. But I was strategic. I was thinking about that fish. I was plotting on that fish. I was focused on that fish. And I feel the Holy Spirit right now, because I didn't say this first service, but the minute I caught that fish, everybody around me got energized to fish with me. The minute you start being effective for the kingdom, people around you want to be effective for the kingdom. Did you know that 90% of all salvations in America right now in 2014 take place in a local church? Your best bet of getting your friends saved is to get them in an environment like this. God may present an opportunity or you may see an opportunity where you can do it otherwise. I say do it. But well, let's not leave the other thing undone. Three simple steps on how to fish. Invest, invite, and repeat. Invest, invite, repeat. In your life, there's people right now who you have enough invested in that you can get them to come to a place like this and hopefully receive the good news of Jesus Christ. There's other people in your life that strategically you could begin to invest in their life. I've done this time and time again. I've told Crystal, uh, Crystal's my wife by the way, she's at Children's Church. Uh, but but I've told Crystal, I said, I said that, I'm going to get him right there, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him right there. I'm going to get him. It may take me a year, it may take me five years, but I'm going to get him. I've gone and roofed houses for people. I've gone and cut their grass when they didn't know it. I've dropped off stuff at their house. I've gone to the funerals hours and hours away of people I didn't know. And I don't mean this disrespectful, but I didn't need to go to that funeral. I was strategically working on this guy. I'm thinking about it. I'm focusing on it. I'm trying to get this guy into heaven. Because if you want to know your job, it's to make heaven crowded. Invest, invite, repeat. If it doesn't work, try again. One of my friends, I see her every two or three days because she works at a business that I frequent. Blesses me so much because she just has that natural smile, that joy-filled demeanor, and sometimes I think, I, I think, man, that's the kind of person right there that it's the easiest to invite to church because they're just so nice. But some fish are harder to catch. It doesn't mean we shouldn't fish for them too. In your life and in my life, before anything else, God called us to fish. Now, I promise you this, as the pastor of this house, we will do our best to love anybody you bring here. We will do our best to teach them what the Bible says. But our first priority is to do our best to get them into heaven. Amen? Stand to your feet if you would, please. I'm done teaching.